Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. But for those of you who are new to the gate, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, We hope that you feel welcomed and that you feel safe here. Last month, Pastor Mark walked us through a series called From Here to Healing, and he covered physical healing, emotional healing, and spiritual healing. This morning, I want to jump back to emotional healing, looking specifically at the role of forgiveness. In my own life, learning how to forgive and how to be forgiven have been crucial both to my journey toward emotional healing and my ability to move forward. Since forgiveness is such a big topic, Pastor Mark is going to do a follow-up teaching next week, giving us some time to ruminate and act on what we're hearing. Now this morning, we're going to look at what I believe to be one of the most powerful biblical narratives about forgiveness. Thanks to Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, it is also one of the most well-known biblical stories among both churched and unchurched people. It's the story of Joseph the boy with the amazing Technicolor dream coat. To bring us up to speed, Joseph was his mother Rachel's firstborn, his father Jacob's 11th son, and the favorite child. A spoiled brat and a tattletale, Joseph was hated by his brothers. Genesis 37.4 says that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Talk about family dysfunction. Joseph was also a dreamer. The Lord both spoke to Joseph in dreams and gave him the ability to interpret dreams. But one day, upon receiving dreams concerning the future of his family, Joseph chose not to treasure them, but to share them, stirring up even greater division. We're told that his brothers hated him all the more. Not long after this event, Joseph's father sent him to check on his brothers who were away pasturing the flocks. Seeing Joseph in the distance, his brothers devised a plot to kill him. Their hatred ran that deep. Sarcasm oozes from the pages of our Bibles. Here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. But instead of murdering him, brother Judah came up with the brilliant idea to sell Joseph, their little brother, their own flesh and blood. So stripping Joseph of his beautiful robe, his brothers sold him at just 17 years old to traders who were passing through on their way to Egypt. As you can imagine, Joseph's life in Egypt was far from easy. He was a slave. He was falsely accused. He spent time in prison. He was forgotten. Yet the common refrain is that the Lord was with Joseph. In every place, the Lord's favor was upon him. Fast forward 13 years. Joseph is now 30 years old. Used by the Lord to interpret Pharaoh, king of Egypt's dreams, Joseph was elevated to the position of second in command and placed in charge of all of Egypt. Dressed in beautiful clothes and paraded before the people, he was recognized for his leadership abilities and God-given wisdom. He would lead Egypt through seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. 
It was in the midst of the famine that Joseph's past came back to haunt him in the very faces of his 10 older brothers, the brothers who betrayed him, the brothers who sold him into slavery, the brothers who told his father that he was dead. Affected by the famine, his brothers had traveled to Egypt to buy food for their families, and in a great reversal of fortune, their lives were now in Joseph's hands. Recognizing his brothers, Joseph questioned them and tested their character. When he threatened to hold the youngest brother, Benjamin, as his slave, Judah, the one whose idea it had been to sell Joseph, offered himself in Benjamin's place. And that's where we pick up our story. I invite you to turn with me to Genesis 45, verse 1 to 8. I'll give you a minute to find your place. If you need a Bible, I've got some at my feet, so give me a wave. I can bring one to you. All right, Genesis 45, verse 1 to 8. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard him. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer them because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Here we find ourselves at the climax of the Joseph narrative. Revealing himself to his brothers, Joseph brings their deepest and darkest family secret into the light. The brother who they sold and passed off as dead is not only alive, but in charge of all of Egypt. It's an intense scene and a deeply painful experience for both Joseph and his brothers. In many ways, Joseph's story is familiar. We empathize with Joseph because we too have been hurt by those who should have loved us. We felt the pain of betrayal, harsh words, and evil actions, a pain that so often influences our everyday lives. And yet Joseph's response to his brothers is unexpected. He chooses not to retaliate, but to reconcile. He chooses forgiveness. His response to them is infused with grace, undeserved kindness. I'd like to suggest to you that Joseph's ability to forgive his brothers stemmed from his awareness of God's work in and through his life. While his brothers sold him, it was God who sent him. This perspective, this view of the bigger picture, empowered Joseph to do what would otherwise be humanly impossible. 
It seems that often God uses our circumstances, our pain, and our shame for his glory. When Joseph was sold into slavery, I'm sure that the last words on his lips were, thanks be to God, God is surely doing a good thing. His circumstances certainly didn't seem to suggest it. In fact, it probably took Joseph several years just to begin to understand what God was doing in and through his life in Egypt. At just 17 years old, I imagine that Joseph was scared, anxious, confused, angry, bitter. I mean, how does one even begin to comprehend a betrayal so deep? How does one begin to process an event so horrific? How does one reconcile the reality of a good God when life is anything but good? Often when we're hurt by someone that we love, we're quick to put on blinders. If you've ever seen a racehorse, you might have noticed a type of shield by its eyes. These shields or blinders block the horse's peripheral vision to prevent it from getting distracted or spooked. They help the horse to focus solely on what lies ahead. While great for the horse, blinders aren't good for us. The blinders that we put on when we've been hurt keep our eyes focused on the wrong done to us, preventing us from seeing the bigger picture and journeying toward forgiveness. Maybe you've had this experience. Somebody says something unkind to you and suddenly you can't remember anything good about them. Like Joseph's brothers, you can't say one kind word about them. That one hurt has blinded you to all of the good qualities that you so appreciate about them. Anyone had this experience? Blinders also prevent us from seeing the true source of that hurt. You've heard it said that hurt people hurt people, and it's true. Unkind words or actions often stem from hurt. They bubble up from insecurities, jealousy, past experiences, abuse, relational conflict. In his book, Abba's Child, Brennan Manning says that understanding triggers the compassion that makes forgiveness possible. That the heartfelt compassion that hastens forgiveness matures when we discover why our enemy cries. In no way does this dismiss the reality um, of the hurt that we've endured. Some of us a pain, which is absolutely unfathomable. But it does make our enemies a little bit more human. Church, we must remove our blinders, perhaps several pairs of them. Note that God never promises us an easy and painful life. However, he does assure his children that in the midst of suffering and weakness, he is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Therefore, we can be confident that God is for us, even when our circumstances suggest otherwise. Although his brothers sold him as a slave, God was with Joseph. He used Joseph to save the nations and the people of Israel, fulfilling the promise that he made to his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's work didn't dismiss the sin of Joseph's brothers, nor the pain that they caused. However, it did give Joseph a new lens through which to look at these events. In the midst of atrocity, Joseph saw the gracious hand of God at work in his life so that he would later be able to say to his brothers, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. 
The bigger picture enabled Joseph to do the impossible, and just as it enabled him, so it enables us. It helps us to look our offender in the eye and say three of the hardest and most powerful words, I forgive you. Friends, are you blinded by hurt? Is there anybody in your life that you need to forgive? This week, I encourage you to take time to sit with the Lord and ask him to reveal to you any hurt that needs to be addressed and people who you need to forgive. And then when the time is right, to act on it. I say when the time is right because for, is be, I say when the time is right because forgiveness is a process. To offer forgiveness requires us to wrestle with emotions and work through the pain of our experience. And that reality is one of the things that I love about Joseph's story. It doesn't sugarcoat forgiveness. While Joseph's view of the bigger picture made forgiveness possible, it certainly didn't make it easy. Forgiveness requires us to acknowledge our hurt, and that can be deeply painful. When Joseph confronted his brothers, he didn't gloss over their sin. Before saying, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Using personal language, your brother, the one you sold, Joseph named his pain. He called out his brothers for their failure to watch over and protect him. We have a natural tendency to repress pain. When we're physically sick, we're quick to visit the medicine cabinet in search of Advil, Tylenol, or any other over-the-counter substance that will relieve our discomfort. And our re response to emotional pain is not all that different. In order to avoid feeling the breadth of our emotions, we immerse ourselves in work, television, music, anything that will distract us from reality. Personally, I find that when someone has hurt me, I feed myself certain messages that only serve to build up walls around my heart. If someone rejects me, I say, I'm okay. I don't need them. I'm strong. I'm learning to, that it's okay to say that hurt me. Failing to acknowledge hurt prevents us from moving forward. It affects our relationship, not only with the person who hurt us, but with our family, our friends, our coworkers, even the stranger. Like a physical wound, an emotional wound that has not received proper attention will only fester. How many of you have been hurt by somebody and then projected that hurt onto somebody else? How many of you have been rejected by somebody and then lived your life expecting that others would reject you too? How many of you have run into someone who hurt you, maybe seen a post from them on social media, sending you spiraling into the void of the past? When Joseph first saw his brothers in Egypt, he put on a hard front pretending not to know them. But in private, Joseph, second in command to Pharaoh, wept. While it had been over 20 years since he had seen his brother, that wound had never fully healed. Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh, meaning it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Yet in this passage, we see that he had not truly forgotten. Neither time nor status had diminished Joseph's pain. I find the popular saying, forgive and forget, to be quite trite. 
To my ears, it sounds dismissive. I understand the heart behind it. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, we're told that God forgives and forgets. He says, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Yet as human beings, can we truly forget? I imagine that Joseph never forgot that his brothers sold him into slavery. His very life in Egypt was a daily reminder of the sin committed against him. If we want to use the phrase forgive and forget, I believe that we need to redefine what it means to forget. To forget has nothing to do with erasing our memory of the past and resuming life as though nothing happened. Rather, to forget is to choose not to hold a person's sin against them. It's to offer the gift of freedom both to that person and to yourself. After Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, we're told that he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. Joseph didn't literally forget, but he did choose not to remember, embracing the very ones who pushed him away. And so here we are, thousands of years later, learning from a man who exemplified radical forgiveness. Church, would that be an encouragement to you? Your story of hurt, pain, and forgiveness might be exactly what someone else needs as they journey towards forgiveness. In the words of Catholic scholar and priest Henry Nowen, may we be wounded healers. Last week, I received a note from a friend which said, let the clouds roll by, feel their rain, process it with the right people, and then step back into the light. I think that this statement applies beautifully to the process of forgiveness. As hurt rolls by, allow yourself to feel the pain, process it with the Lord and with people you can trust, and then step back into the light of the freedom that Jesus offers, knowing that there will be a day when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. It is that bigger picture of the day that is to come that empowers us to be courageous over and over again. But what about when we've done wrong, when we've intentionally or unintentionally hurt another? Like extending forgiveness, receiving and accepting forgiveness, is a continuous process. Plagued by our words and our actions, shame and fear have a tendency to creep back into our lives when we least expect it. 17 years after Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, they questioned his forgiveness. Their father had just died and they were afraid. They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So in an attempt to appease Joseph, they said, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. Though Joseph had moved his family to Egypt, cared for all of their needs for almost two decades, they still had trouble believing that they were forgiven. Why? We're not told. 
But when their message came to Joseph, Joseph wept. He said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph still saw the bigger picture, offering kind words to the brothers who were once unable to say anything kind about him. He had completely forgiven them, but still they had trouble accepting it. It was too great a gift. How many of you like to receive gifts? Hands up. How many of you find it difficult to receive gifts? Only a few. Okay, maybe I'm on my own here. <laughs> this week, I was talking to some friends about the love languages. <laughs> Jordan's smiling because she's heard this conversation. If you're unfamiliar with the love languages, it's basically a set of terms used to help people express how they best give and receive love. One of the love languages is gifts. People with this love language love to give gifts, receive gifts, or both. Personally, gifts tends not to be one of my primary love languages. For as long as I can remember, I found it difficult to receive gifts. And a while back, I remember thinking, why is it that I find it difficult to receive gifts? Here are some of the conclusions that I drew. One, I feel an unnecessary pressure to pay it back. Two, I don't know how to pay it back. Three, when I do pay it back, I'd better do a great job. Four, sometimes I just don't feel like I deserve it. As I thought through these reasons, I began to think about how my difficulty receiving material gifts translates to the immaterial. Do I also find it difficult to receive grace, mercy, and in today's case, forgiveness? In 2019, Barner Research Group released a study called One in Four Practicing Christians Struggles to Forgive Someone. In it, they report that although 76% of believers claim to have extended genuine, unconditional forgiveness, only 55% claim to have received it. 76% have given it, 55% have received it. Somewhere there's a disconnect between the extent and the receipt of forgiveness. Either the recipients of the forgiveness don't believe that it's genuine, or they're simply struggling to accept it. Notably, in this same study, 22% of practicing Christians did say that they find it difficult to receive forgiveness. Accepting forgiveness is sometimes just as difficult as extending it. Sometimes forgiveness won't be extended to us. Though we may ask for it, the one we have hurt might refuse. And in those painful moments, we must still continue to remember the bigger picture. As a follower of Jesus, you are the recipient of God's forgiveness. As a follower of Jesus, you are the recipient of God's forgiveness. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. 
John also tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Church, we are living under the new covenant. What God said through the prophet Jeremiah is true. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Bring your burdens to him today. Receive the forgiveness that comes from him alone. And then courageously ask forgiveness of those you've hurt. Once again, this bigger picture enables us to do the impossible. It empowers us not only to extend forgiveness, but to accept it, freeing us from the burden of our sins and our shame. And just as God forgives us, so we ought to forgive one another. This morning, we looked to Joseph's example. We learned that God can use our circumstances, our pain, and our shame for his glory. But the most powerful act of forgiveness occurred not in ancient Egypt, but at Calvary. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was beaten, mocked, and scorned, dying a death that he did not deserve, and still he chose the way of forgiveness. Church, we forgive because God first forgave us. In Ephesians, Paul tells the church to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. In Colossians, he says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In his paper, Moving from Solitude to Community to Ministry, Henry Nowen offers us a definition of forgiveness. He says, forgiveness is to allow the other person not to be God. Forgiveness says, I know you love me, but you don't have to love me unconditionally because no human being can do that. He goes on to say, to forgive other people for being able to give you only a little love, that's a hard discipline. To keep asking others for forgiveness because you can only give a little love. That's a hard discipline too. Church, would we be a people who see the bigger picture and choose to practice the discipline of forgiveness for that is the way of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Through your son, Jesus Christ, you've offered to us the greatest of all gifts. You've offered us forgiveness. This morning and this week, would you open our eyes, reveal to us those we need to forgive and those of whom we need to ask forgiveness. Forgiveness is a hard discipline. Would you guide us with your gentle hand and help us to have patience with ourselves as we wrestle through the realities of what it means to extend and receive forgiveness. Help us to see the bigger picture to notice the ways in which you are working through our circumstances, our pain, and our shame, so that we might do what is humanly impossible. Father, we love you. Teach us your ways. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., 
and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.